Our scripture is Leviticus 23, 16 through 17, 20 through 22. You shall count until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days. Then you shall present an offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your settlements two loaves of bread as an elevation offering, each made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of choice flour baked with leaven as fruits to the Lord. The priest shall raise them with the bread of the first fruits as an elevation offering before the Lord together with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. On that same day you shall make proclamation. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not work at your occupations. This is a statute forever in all your settlements throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. I am the Lord your God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful this morning. At this moment, we're grateful for your word. And Lord, may our hungry hearts feed and feast on scripture so that we may be satisfied. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There's a lot of weird holidays, did you know this? Super weird holidays. Um, there's a hole in my bucket day. There's uh, answer your cat's questions day. These are real holidays. Answer your cat's questions. No socks day. If pets had thumbs day. Um, December 8th, which is Sam's birthday, is uh, pretend to be a time traveler day. And October 21st is count your buttons day. Count your buttons day. Um, I don't know where any of those come from. I don't know what they mean. All I know is they are actually real. Now, some weird holidays uh, do have like a meaning behind them. So there's one really weird holiday called Straw Bear Day. And you take a, 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 a young man or a, a boy and you cover him completely in straw on January 7th. And he goes from house to house uh, dancing covered in straw, and in return they give him money, gifts, or beer. Uh, this is, this is what comes in return. Now, so it turns out that the, the purpose behind this is, this happens in England, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's an agricultural holiday. So the idea is the straw represents the harvest, and he's going around and like, um, so, <laughs> as far as I could go. There's something to do with agriculture. Something to do with agriculture. Um, and then there's Lamas Day, which means loaf mass. And um, you take the first wheat of the harvest on October, August 1st. You bake some bread and you give it to your neighbors. That kind of thing. Um, or your church, actually, as a matter of fact. Your pastor wouldn't mind some fresh baked bread. Uh, the weirdest of all of the holidays for me, actually, is Thanksgiving. Now, I know that sounds, I mean, we've, we've talked about some very weird ones. Um, but I think Thanksgiving is really weird because we eat all the time. Like we always have a meal. And so we're like, well, let's do a holiday. What do you want to do? You want to dress up? No. Go door to door? No. What do you want to do? Eat. <laughs> we just did that. 
Well, I want a holiday for it. Oh, okay. I think that's really weird. And so I've always been fascinated by Thanksgiving. The other thing that fascinates me is even though it's, even though it's, it's just what we always do, it's also my favorite holiday. And that should not be the case. I should, I should be really into the religious ones, and I am. Um, but it ends up being the one I like the most. And, and so I decided to kind of um, try to understand all of this and try to understand why I like it so much. Um, it's, it's, our, it's one of our most important holidays. It's the biggest holiday, but it's unlike any of our other important ones, right? Like we have two kinds. We have civic holidays where we remember something about our country, right? So we just did Veterans Day, we have Memorial Day, we have July 4th, we have Martin Luther King Jr., we have President's Day. All these are very civic holidays. Thanksgiving's not that. We found a story uh, about maybe some pilgrims and maybe some Native Americans who had a meal. Uh, I have a book on this. It won't surprise you to know. And it turns out that like that story is, we're not sure exactly what's happening there. Um, plus it brings up a lot of our, the darker parts of our history. Um, but every culture has a Thanksgiving. Every culture has a harvest holiday. It's not unique to America. So it's not strictly a civic holiday, but it's also not obviously a religious holiday, right? It's not Christmas, it's not Easter, it's not Pentecost, it's not these other kinds of, it's not obviously religious. And so what in the world are we doing when we get together for Thanksgiving? Um, I do think it deserves all the attention it gets. I think it's an extremely important holiday. Um, and I think it's actually a necessary one. It's a necessary one. So I think it's worth talking about. <laughs> Obviously, it's all about gratitude. Um, but what does having a great big feast together with people you care about, uh, what does that have to do with giving thanks? What does that have to do with gratitude? Um, a point, a, a, it's a feast, and a point of a feast is to help us not take the rest of our lives for granted. That's why we have feasts. It's sort of marked time. So we don't just like rumble through time unknowing, not thinking about anything. It's a time to stop, a time to pause, and time to be able to say, whoa, whoa, my life is pretty good. We tend to focus on the ways our life is not that great. Um, and those tend to mark our time. But we need moments to be able to say, hey, it's actually not that bad. This is pretty cool. Things are okay. Um, and that is often what the role of a, a feast is. It's to teach us how to say thank you. Um, but to look a little deeper than that, we're gonna to have to look into a resource that um, I'm becoming more and more fascinated with lately, which is the book of Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus is uh, in the Old Testament. It's part of the Pentateuch, part of the first five books of the Old Testament. It's not the most popular book in the Bible. Um, when I was in camp, uh, we used to read it to the campers to try to get them to go to sleep. Uh, it's, it's one of those kinds of book in the Old Testament, but lately I've become very, very interested in it. And it's all about holiness. Holiness in the sense of wholeness. There's, it's not a coincidence that those two words are related, wholeness and holiness. Um, being a whole person, being a whole community. And so its message, the message of Leviticus is vital. Wholeness involves time, it involves seasons, it involves rhythms of the year. And so there are actually a lot of festivals mentioned in Leviticus where God's people celebrate him, they celebrate each other, they celebrate his gifts as a way of leading to wholeness. Two of those festivals 
are essentially Thanksgiving. Essentially what we celebrate when we celebrate Thanksgiving. Uh, they're both harvest festivals. One's called uh, the Feast of First Fruits, which is the first fruits of your harvest. And then the other one's called the Feast of Weeks, which happens uh, 50 days after the first harvest. But they're, they're both harvest holidays. One has to do with wheat, one has to do with barley. There are three parts to these that I want to talk about. Three important kind of key pieces to these festivals. But here's the weirdest thing about the festivals in the Old Testament. Never in any, there's six total, never do they say you should feast. They never tell you, they're all feasts, they're all festivals, but they never say, and the people of the Lord shall gather in the place and they shall feast together. They never once say that. They all assume feast. What they tell us instead is how to feast. And there's three features about how to feast that they're talking about. Um, they all are some form of a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice of work, limits on how much we work, a day of not working called the Sabbath. Um, there's a sacrifice of production. You're not supposed to harvest everything. You're supposed to leave the corners of your fields. Um, and then the third sacrifice is the sacrifice of an actual harvest where it's given to the priests at the temple. So the first thing that jumps out at you when you think about this is that, um, is that like, okay, you're, so you're supposed to feast and then God's saying, I want you to sacrifice. And the first thought you might have is, well, won't my feast then be diminished? Like, how am I supposed to feast on the surplus, on the abundance, if A, I can't work seven days a week, so I'm going to miss. I'm, I'm not going to be able to have as big a field. B, I can't get the corners of my field. And C, I'm giving some of it to the temple. As much as like 25% of it in, in some accounting. How am I supposed to have a decent feast? It almost sounds as like, the, the laws are, are bringing us to the point of not being able to feast at all. But haha, here's what's really going on. What's actually happening is that you discover, despite these three forms of sacrifice, work, production, and the temple, you still end up with an amazing feast. You still end up with more than enough. You still end up with a massive surplus. How can this be? I'm going to talk about the practical, and then I'm going to talk about, like, uh, we'll, we'll just call it the theological, but the, like, the stuff, the, the God stuff. Okay, so let's talk about the practical for a second. <clears throat> sure, you could work seven days a week. You could get more done, theoretically. But land needs rest. Bodies do, too, but we're, we're just going to talk about land for a second. Land needs rest. Currently, we have the technology to literally farm 24-7, every day of the year, every year, forever. We have GPS, we have headlights, um, we can, we, and we have tractors strong enough to break into frozen ground. Our only limitations are uh, the weather and um, amount of sunlight. And one day, we're going to fix that. Actually, we have. It's called the greenhouse. So we literally can farm 24-7, but we're paying a price for this. Our topsoil is blowing away. We're losing inches and inches of topsoil. And you know where every feast starts? Every feast starts in soil. That's the beginning of everything on your table. Soil is the beginning of it. And so if the soil is going into the river, if the soil is getting blown to Kansas or wherever, um, 
It's going to diminish our feasts unless we allow the land to rest. And that's exactly what the Old Testament prescribes. Don't work seven days a week. Every seventh year, don't work. They, they took a whole year off every seventh year. Um, there were multiple rules like this. And, it, and it, on a very practical level, it ended up generating more abundance. So that's one level. Um, the other level is uh, related to this whole idea of leaving the margins of your fields for the poor. This is sort of fascinating because normally when we think about our relationship with the poor, we're thinking um, benevolence, we're thinking charity, we're thinking things like that. That's not what this is. This is limit how much you work, limit how much you harvest to allow the poor come in and allow them to work as well. Uh, it's sort of an unusual approach to um, caring for the poor, but I think one that has been untested, untried, and that's to our detriment. I think there could be a lot more imagination around this idea than we currently have. But it also has to do with our relationship with who we dub the poor. Turns out they're very human, like us. Um, in fact, they're the same as us. And uh, one thing that that would do by leaving the margins of your field is that uh, the poor would come onto your field and harvest, which means you would develop a relationship. And by developing that relationship, something new can emerge. Uh, something can grow in community. And we have a whole book of the Bible about this called Ruth. And the guy who owns the field, he meets these poor ladies. Um, one of them, not bad looking, not you know, pretty easy on the eyes, ends up marrying her. And then they become ancestors to David, Solomon, and Jesus himself. And pretty good situation. Um, a lot of poverty has to do with poverty of relationships. And what this does is it brings people together who are normally separated through socioeconomic circumstances, brings them together, and provides an abundance that was never thought of before. So that's the second sort of practical thing. Remember, we're going through the practicals of these sacrifices and how it leads us to greater feasting. And then the third one has to do with the temple. So there's wholeness in community, wholeness with the land. Now we're talking about wholeness with God. The gift of the harvest allows the temple and the priests to exist. I mean, the priests are human just like everybody else and they need to eat. They need that grain, they need the lambs, they need the oil and the uh, bread and all, the, all of that stuff. Um, but it's also a constant reminder that everything comes from God in the first place. That we are all just like those priests. Those priests are entirely dependent on other people coming and sacrificing. They wouldn't exist otherwise. Well, that's true of all of us. We think that our work produces what we put on the table. It doesn't. We have a little piece of this. But most of it has to do with the work of God the generosity of the land, and we are just gracious recipients of this. The temple is a constant reminder of this. They don't do anything productive. They're not out there farming. They're just, what are they? They're just killing animals all the time. Like, they're, they're not productive people, and yet, and yet they are sustained and enriched by the gifts of God. That's true of all of us. A church is not the same as a temple. Um, but in this particular sense, there's something that we can take from this. This place, this church, relies on sheer generosity. That's how it exists. It relies on the generosity of people in the past. 
Um, I sent out a, a notice yesterday that we just lost Stanley. Uh, we didn't lose him, you know. He's he's more found than ever. Um, but uh, it's it's been a long journey for him, and now he is uh, closer to the Lord. What he's always wanted in his whole life to be close to the Lord, and 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 Stanley is someone who has played a big role in sustaining this place. Uh, his sheer generosity, his commitment to this place is part of the reason that we're all here. It's not all the reason, but it's part of it. All it is is a picture of our own lives, lives made of sheer gift. And by supporting something like a place like this, it reminds us that that's what our lives are like that we would not exist without the gift of God, without the gifts of others, without the gifts of maybe our parents, our friends, things like that. I am always, always feel awkward asking for money and I hate it so much, I hate it, I hate it, okay? Let's just preface that. But I am okay risking this. I'm okay risking saying, I want you to give to this church, not exactly for the church, but for your own soul, so that this place, can constantly remind you that you are a person made of gift. A Rolex, Rolex would be cool if, if somebody wanted to like, you know, just throw in a Rolex for me. But, um, but, but in all seriousness, um, all of us need a place like this so that we have this counter to a world that says there's nothing but scarcity. Okay. Now back to Thanksgiving. We've talked about the practical ways that wholeness develops through these sacrifices. A feast where we say thanks. Leviticus helps us see that the, the best feast is not measured by our level of consumption. It's not about quantity and it's not about perfection, how perfectly brown the turkey is and all that kind of stuff. A great feast comes from what we give. It's not a coincidence that the harvest festival, the Feast of Weeks, is in Greek called Pentecost, the Feast of the Holy Spirit. God is not sitting back in a lazy boy. God is not, you know, your grandpa on Thanksgiving watching the game and just expecting people to bring in pie and that kind of stuff. As I said to the kids, God is a lot more like the turkey. At the Feast of Pentecost, God gave himself as the gift to all humankind. God poured out God's own self to all of us. And that was the greatest joy that God could have. It's only in giving that we are able to receive. It's only in fasting that we can feast. It's only in sacrifice that we end up becoming whole. I hope this holiday leads you into a life of sheer gift, the one that we already exist in. Happy Thanksgiving. Lord, you are a giver, you are a gift, and in your son, you are a grateful receiver. Help us to follow your son in receiving the gift of your spirit from the Father. Lord, help us to see that our lives are made of gift. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you.
May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.